This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask that you would meet us in our need, that you would meet us in all of our relationships, that you would bring us peace through Jesus, that you would lead us to rejoice in our relationship with you, and that your love for us would lead us to love you and to love other people just like you love us. We pray this in the powerful and saving name of Jesus. Amen. Growing up in our kitchen, we had a a drawer that we called a a junk drawer. In in this junk drawer, there was just about everything. There were measuring tapes, there were strings, there were stamps, there was a deck of cards, there was dice, there was coins, there was rubber bands. Again, just about everything you could think of would be in there. In fact, kind of from, from that day forward, no matter like where I lived, I managed to have a junk drawer. And when our offices were remodeled here at Victory and I I got a new desk, I said to myself, self, whatever you do, don't make a junk drawer out of your desk. And since I'm bringing it up, you know that's not exactly... What had happened, you know, I mean, in my drawer there is like everything. There's, there's stamps, there's potato chips, there's candy, there's scissors, there's medicine, there's, there's money, money from Zambia, um, you know, just so many things. Today, as we're continuing our series on relationships, the grace between us, We're going to answer this question, how do we get rid of the junk drawers in our life? And to do so, we're going to go into the scriptures, and we're going to see an Old Testament figure, a guy by the name of Joseph, and we're going to look at the highlights and the lowlights in his life. So let's go back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 37, and this is what we read. It says, Now Israel, so Israel, this is a guy, okay, and his other name is Jacob. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Uh, On this Father's Day, and and in fact on any day, it is not a good thing to have a favorite child, okay? It is not a good father move or a good parent move at all. Say to someone sitting close to you, this isn't going to work out well. Go ahead. This isn't going to work out well. You have a favorite child. In fact, this is what happened next. So Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. 
He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. He said, listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? With these words, Joseph, he's, he's pretty excited. He's pumped up. He goes, hey, I just want you to know there, there's going to be a day. It's going to be really cool. I'm going to rule over you guys. Okay, I'm going to take over. You know, I'll take care of you, but I'm going to rule over you. Can you imagine if one of your brothers or sisters said that to you? Just so you know, one day I'm going to rule over. I'm take care of you, but I'm going to rule over you. This isn't going to work out well. Right? You know, and so Jacob goes to Joseph and goes, what are you doing? You see, Joseph didn't know what a, a lot of people don't know today. And that is just because you know something, Just because you have an opinion doesn't mean that anybody else needs to know about it. Mm -hmm. Tell someone sitting next to you, this isn't going to work out well. Mm -hmm. Guess what? It didn't. Okay. Later on, Jacob sent Joseph out to check on his brothers who were tending sheep like miles and miles away. And and so Joseph is is going out to try and find them. And when his brothers see him out in the distance, and understand, they they know it's Joseph, right? Because we all have a certain walk, yeah? And you can kind of tell that. And, And not only does Joseph have Joseph's walk, he's got that really cool coat, right? So that kind of sticks out. And the brothers see him, and, and they have some options now, right? The, the most obvious option is to welcome Joseph in, let him see that everything's going well, feed him, and send him back to their father with a good report. That was obvious. That's the obvious thing. But the brothers, they didn't think about the obvious thing. Never crossed their mind. They saw Joseph coming, and, and they thought to themselves, let's kill him and hide his body. Wow. Nice family. (laughs) And and they end up throwing him into a cistern, a a hole in the ground that usually there's water in, but it didn't have any water in it. And here's the thing. Reuben, the oldest brother, they put him in there. Reuben was going to rescue him, keep him safe from his other brothers, you know. And, And so... I put him in the cistern, and as things go on, Reuben moves away and checks on some flocks some other place, and the brothers are left there, and as they're left there with Joseph in that hole in the ground, they see some more people coming, and it's a big caravan of people, and the brothers think, oh, here's an idea. Let's sell him into slavery. 
Let's make some money off of our brother. We'll take that really cool coat that he's got. We'll rip it to shreds. We'll dip it in goat's blood. And we'll take it back to our father. And our father will have to assume the obvious. That Joseph's dead. And so that's what they do. They sell their brother into slavery. They rip that coat all to pieces, put blood on it, and take it back to their father and go, hey, Dad, do you, do you recognize this? And Jacob sees that coat covered in blood, ripped to shreds, and he can only assume what appears to be obvious. His son was killed by a ferocious animal. And Joseph, or Jacob rather, is devastated in grief. Scripture says he refuses to be comforted. Joseph's brothers, they're now free of Joseph. Free. Free to live in the guilt of their lies and deception. And Joseph, he's now a slave. The favoritism of Jacob, the jealousy of the brothers, the pride of Joseph made a mess out of life. This isn't working out well. Joseph proves to be a really good slave. Hardworking, takes on responsibility. He soon becomes his master's favorite slave. In, fa in fact, his master places him in charge over all of his whole household. Right? The thing is, is, is that Joseph is not only hardworking, he not only takes on responsibility, he's also chiseled. He's good-looking. Okay? And so he's not only his master's favorite slave, he's his master's wife's favorite slave. And his master's wife tries to seduce him time and time again. And finally, Joseph says to her one day, no one's greater in his house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? But she keeps on. She keeps after him day after day. And finally, one day, Joseph just runs out of the house. She's chasing him. She reaches out, grabs his shirt. He runs out of his shirt, just rips through it. She falls on the ground with his shirt in her hand. She's hurt. She's rejected. She becomes angry and bitter. She keeps the shirt, and, and when her husband comes back home and goes, hey, you know that slave of yours, that favorite slave of yours? Look, here's, here's his shirt. I had to fight him off. He tried to rape me. 
And so they make a search for Joseph. They find him, and they throw him in prison. This isn't working out well. Meanwhile, back at home, Jacob fills his bed with tears every night. The brothers, they're reminded of what they did. Every time they see their father and his red eyes and every time they see their father and how tired it is, and every time something goes wrong in life, they're sitting there going, we're getting it for what we did. They got some major regret going on. While Joseph's in prison, he's a model prisoner. He doesn't cause trouble. He does what he's told to do. He encourages and is kind to the other prisoners. And while he's in prison, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he throws two of his, his royal court into prison. He just gets upset with the with the the bartender and the chef in his household. Huh? They must have made a bad meal or something to get thrown into prison. And they're in prison. And Joseph befriends them. And one day Joseph sees these two and they're downcast. They can tell something's on their mind. And so Joseph's, what up? And the bartender's like, well, I had this dream and I can't figure out what it means. Joseph said, well, tell me about it. And he tells him the dream, and, and Joseph says, well, this is what your dream means. In, in three days, you're going to be released from prison, and you're going to be restored to your position as Pharaoh's bartender. But here's the thing. When you get out, remember me and get me out of here. You know I don't belong here. And the baker goes, hey, well, that was a pretty good interpretation of the dream. Let me tell you mine. And so the baker tells Joseph his dream, and, and, and Joseph interprets it. And he says, well, here's the deal. Within three days, you're going to be killed. And within three days, both those dreams are fulfilled. The, the baker, the chef, is killed, and the bartender is returned to his spot with Pharaoh. And, and it's a big celebration for the bartender. The drinks are flowing and everything. It's amazing. And the bartender forgets all about Joseph. And Joseph remains in prison. Two years later, Joseph's still in prison. Two years later, Pharaoh has two dreams. And he's confounded and he's confused and he's agitated. He can't understand what these dreams mean. And he calls for people all over to try and tell him, interpret these dreams for him. And, and no one can. And, and then the bartender goes, ah, I remember. I remember now. Uh, there's this dude in prison. I think he can tell you the dream, what it means. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph. Joseph gets, uh, gets all cleaned up and everything, and he appears before Pharaoh. And, and Joseph just tells up right up front. He goes, hey, just so you know, I can't tell you the dream, what it means, okay? But God can. God Almighty can tell you what the dreams mean. And so Pharaoh tells Joseph the dreams, and Joseph tells him, here's what the deal is. Your two dreams... Uh, they're two different dreams, but they have the same meaning, okay? They have the same meaning, these two different dreams, because God is confirmed in God's mind that this is what's going to happen. He said, here's what your dreams mean. 
there's going to be seven years of abundance, followed by seven years of famine. There's going to be seven years of joyous bumper crops, followed by seven years of dust bowl sadness. And he says to Pharaoh, this is what you need to do. You need to take 20% of each of those crops in the good years and store it up so that when the bad years come, there's going to be food for everyone to eat. And Pharaoh understands, man, this is, this is going to be a large undertaking. Who can I get to do this? Who can I get to be in charge of this? And Pharaoh determines there's no one wiser in the whole land than Joseph. So Joseph, you're going to be in charge of this. Joseph, the, the young boy with the cool kid coat. Joseph, the guy who was sold into slavery. Joseph, the guy who was imprisoned falsely. Joseph, the, the guy whose dad thinks he's dead, is now second in charge in Egypt, the then top world power of the day. During those years of abundance, Joseph is stockpiling that grain, making sure that it doesn't spoil or, or rot, making sure the animals stay away from it. And then come the seven years of famine. Pretty much seven years of pretty much worldwide famine. You know what that means, right? That means that since there's this famine, Joseph's brothers are going to have to come to Egypt to get food to survive. And guess who they run into? Joseph. As the brothers meet Joseph, they don't recognize him. He's dressed as an Egyptian elite because that's who he is now. Joseph is, is using interpreters to speak to his brothers because here's the deal. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And truth be told, Joseph's doing a little tug of war with them. He's not letting them off the hook so easy because he knows something. And at the same time, he's blessing them. He doesn't let them know who he is. But they'll be back. They'll be back. And on a subsequent visit back to get more food, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Can you imagine the conversations that were going on? Joseph tells his, his brothers to, to go back and, and bring the whole family into Egypt so that they'll be taken care of. Uh, imagine the conversation. You mean we have an uncle, Joseph? He, he's not dead? Imagine the, the conversations with Jacob, the father. you got to be kidding me. How ruthless and compassionate-less can you be? 
But here's the deal. Joseph's really glad to be reunited with his family, and his father Jacob is overjoyed that Joseph is alive. So they're all together in Egypt. But understand, Jacob's pretty old by now. In fact, he dies. And so it's just Joseph and his brothers. The buffer zone between those two parties is is gone. And the brothers were really concerned what was going to happen. This is what they thought the scriptures say. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. They're still practicing deceit right now. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Now they get it. Now they're repentant. Now. They're taking responsibility for their sin. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So here's the thing, right? We, we all have conflict in our lives to one degree or another. We all have junk drawers in our lives that we don't want other people to see. We all have conflict and and, and junk drawers in our lives because we've hurt others and others have hurt us. The scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's one of the things that's in our junk drawer. Regret. We all have regrets on how we've treated people, how we've sinned against someone, the bad things we've done. We all have regrets, too, of the good things that we've left undone. And sometimes... Sometimes the hardest person to forgive 
is ourselves. I want you to know, God knew what you were going to do when you did those bad things. And he loved you before, during, and after. Hasn't changed. And God knew the good things that were right there that, that you knew you ought to do, but you didn't do that. God knows all about that too. And he loved you before, during, and, and after. The same, his love has never and will never change for you. You know, uh, a regret that many of us have is, is that based on what we've done, we've ruined a relationship. 100% our fault. For us, too, we, we have regrets. We have a ruined relationship. And, and maybe it was, you know, it, it, it was our fault and it was their fault. Maybe it's a 50-50 thing or 70-30 or 90-10 or, you know, half to, to 99.5%. But here's the thing. We, we can be like Joseph's brothers and try to, push it off how they did at the beginning or we can take on our ownership for our part whether it's just a half percent or all of it even if it's just a half percent we can go and say hey I blew it it's my bad I'll make amends as best as I can. And as I, as I try to do that, I understand that I have a debt to you that I actually cannot repay. So I ask you to forgive me. How do we get rid of the junk drawers in our lives? By confessing our sins to God and, and to those we've sinned against. Hopefully, they'll forgive us. They may still have some things to work through, though, too. But at least we'll know that we made that attempt and we can move that out of the junk drawer our junk drawers our spiritual junk drawers right they they contain those things where where people have sinned against us sometimes people have sinned against us accidentally maybe even unknowingly but it still hurt and so so it made it into the drawer and sometimes some have sinned against us maliciously. So it's in the drawer. And, and sometimes we, we keep those things for safekeeping in case we need them for our advantage. That's what we think in the future. 
yeah, but you did this. Remember when you did that? It actually happens a lot. And it happens a lot, unfortunately, even in our closest relationships. Child to parent, parent to child, even spouses. Pastor Ben brought up last week, 1 Corinthians 13, and in there again was love, love keeps no record of wrongs. So when people sin against us, Joseph gives us a, a, a good model to follow. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. How do we get rid of the junk drawer in our lives? By forgiving those who sinned against us. You see, this is what Joseph knew and what enabled him to, to help forgive his brothers. Joseph knew that God was over all things. That even when things were bad, it, it didn't keep God from working in and through even those bad things. Joseph knew that God had a different view. A different view than what he had. He didn't necessarily know what God's view was, but it was different than his. For example, when Joseph was in prison, all he could see were prison walls, but he knew that God had a different view. You know what God's different view was? Bumper crops growing. When Joseph was in prison, his, his view was, my life is wasting away. He knew God had a different view. He didn't know what it was, but God's view was, Joseph, you're going to be out of prison someday, and lives are going to be flourishing through you. God has a different view. It's like the Apostle Paul says in the, in the New Testament. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Are you going through a tough time? Do you have something in your life that isn't making sense? It's a season of struggle and trial and suffering, and you cannot figure it out. Remember, God has a different view. And his view brings us peace, even in the middle of the hurt. And this is how we know. Jesus on the cross. Jesus suffered. Jesus went through agony. Jesus didn't suffer figurative hell. He suffered literal hell for us and for our good. 
He took our place. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Every single sin in our junk drawer and every single sin in everyone's junk drawer is paid for in full. Jesus stayed the course because he had a different view. In Hebrews 12, it says of Jesus, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus just being pummeled. It's horrific. It's being crucified. And you know what his view was? Part of his view was right here, right now. His view was us worshiping him. Worshiping God here at the ministry center at home. In the car, on our bike, on the path, running in the boat, listening to the podcast in an airplane. Jesus had the view of people worshiping God. And not only here on earth, but Jesus had the view when he was going through all that suffering that one day we would all be gathered, all the believers would be gathered in heaven, worshiping God. And so he stayed the course. And because he stayed the course, we have peace with God. We've been reconciled to God. So how do we get rid of the junk drawers in our life? Remember, God is over all. God even works through sin. Sin is never good, but it's never bigger than God. And God just keeps on working. And that brings us peace. And that gives us power to reconcile all of our relationships. God's got a different view, an eternal view. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the grace between us and God, the grace between us and others. Use that grace to increase our love for you, for one another, and all people. We pray this in your name, Jesus, with that eternal view. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.